It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live at the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, co-host, Scott Martin. We are back, hopefully on our normal schedule here. Uh, no apologies needed yet today. So getting this out on a normal time on Monday. We're recording this on a Sunday morning. So if anything has happened since then, uh, we will not be touching on it until the next episode, I guess. Hopefully, I don't know, maybe there's a recruiting commitment or two in there. Uh, Scott, Sunday morning here. How is the weekend going? Anything, uh, any big plans for you? Uh, did you watch football this weekend? No. Nope. For the first time since February, we could watch live football. I did uh, not. I, I had it on while I was doing some other things. I think I caught maybe three plays total. Um, <laughs> and it was as bad as I expected in those three plays. Just dreadful i turned it on i was a little bit excited i was like you know what i'm gonna watch like the first couple drives see what happens turn it on they're in like a thunderstorm delay i'm like all right football's back uh and went back to the tigers watched them get beat up went back to the game decided i needed to reevaluate my whole life and went on and did some other things but nonetheless the hall of fame game you need to contact stuff. our uh, contact our friend Sean about some hobbies there. If you're <laughs> hobby expert, Sean, if you're getting too into the Hall of Fame game, yeah, it was uh, it was dreadful, but it's it's a kind of a rite of passage. You know, the first couple football games, it's it's, it's like week zero in in college football. These days, they've sprinkled in a couple games, maybe worth tuning in. Like I think this year's Nebraska Northwestern, right? Like it's not it's not going to be a good football game, but I can develop some kind of vested interest in it because it's our conference and they are um, and they're actually real games right so even yeah. if the teams aren't good they're at least playing as there's if you know there's yeah there's something on the line it is a regular season football game yeah See, i got it so, up here we've got wyoming at illinois if that does anything for you um probably the third best game on here would be vanderbilt at hawaii there's not much to write home about on week zero but it is meaningful football to those teams and those fan bases yeah those are the games that uh that get you got to kind of like find weekends where you can ease your significant other back into the the pace of things right it's like all right i know we've grown accustomed to like doing things on saturdays and we can still do some of that this weekend 
but we're going to sit down. We're going to watch like one game. Maybe we'll just watch three quarters <laughs> if it's not close. Kind of feel things out. See what it feels like again. You know, see what it feels like to arrange our lives around this meaningless sport we watch. And uh, and by the time week one rolls around, they'll understand what we're getting ourselves back into. I, I think you're being generous there. I think by week three, maybe the... Yeah, I think by week one, there's still some... Um, lingering expectations that are not going to be fulfilled. By that... week three, they've written off the whole fall and decided exactly. they, they might need a different uh, partner. But <laughs> exactly. for now, this is who they have. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, th- this weekend, I I didn't get much done. It's super hot out. So we're, we've been redoing our patio and there's all kinds of projects back there to do. But like the, the sun is just homicidal, like 30 seconds. You got a full sweat going. Got to go back inside and get another beer because the first one's already empty. Um, it's tough out here in the summer. It's humid. It's just like I don't live in Michigan, but it's similar to Michigan. Everybody's used to it. You know, it's just hot. If you don't have water like to swim in, to submerge yourself in, then you just better be inside most of the day. So, uh, but nonetheless, it's August now, which is a month with football. So, I mean, spirits are high. We're getting close. This is our last position preview, um, which is exciting. And we're going to get into the real fun late preseason predictions next, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, we're starting to get into that. I We've talked about this for sure before on the podcast, but the older I get, the less I like summer. It's just, you know, you remember a few years ago, I, like, especially as a student, obvious for obvious reasons, the summer was the best, but even coming out of college, there's still that lingering, like mostly nostalgic love of summer. And, you know, you're always thinking like, Oh, I can't wait until football season. But then there's the thing in the back of your mind where you're like, yeah, but I'm wishing away the summer. I don't want to wish away the summer. And now I'm like, well, yeah, I kind of hate the summer, so let's just get this over with because it's 90 degrees every day. I don't want to be outside, and I'm just kind of generally sick of this. Let's get back to those like mid-60s days, mid-50s days where I can wear shorts and a hoodie, and there's football on the TV all weekend, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm very, very, very excited for the fall. Yeah, this this outdoor this patio project is entirely geared around getting it to the perfect state to sit outside and watch football all fall. Like right now, there's a mosquito problem back there, so we can't. Like you're out there in shorts Ooh. and a t-shirt, you yeah. got to do like the bug spray and that whole scene, which is just gross, or just not be out there. But as soon as I can throw like a hoodie and long pants on, I'll just spend all my time out there watching football with my dog. My wife. That's another thing with the once the fall rolls around, some of those bugs stop start going away, and it's it's blissful. It's it's dreamy. We got a um, tabletop like propane. We can't we can't have like a full on fire pit out there. Yeah, we got like a tabletop propane little fire thing. You know, fire fountain. I don't know what you call it. (laughs) Fire Uh, fountain (laughs) sounds incredibly dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's this little shoebox size thing, but so like late season as long as there's not snow on the ground we can be out there uh it's gonna be great it's gonna be the best football watching season hopefully of my life do you remember the attempted fire that we did for the ohio state tailgate in 2015 that upset win on the road we 
we had a tailgate at our place. It was snowing pretty was that, yeah we got like eight inches of snow that day yeah we tried to do a fire pit and it just i feel like that you know pun intended i remember a fire out. that whole <laughs> that whole day was a little blurry for obvious reasons yeah. it was a huge game we had a tailgate yeah. at our house you can do the math um that was the toaster <laughs> smash i believe yep so what what a day that was 2015 that was the uh the michael geiger win in the shoe with our backup quarterbacks everybody remembers um yeah that i i remember there being a fire and i don't remember it being <laughs> unsuccessful but i don't remember much else about it either so uh yes that was probably the best day at 271 milford those, of, those of clear foggy tenure. memories of college yes. good times yeah we had like very small what do you think our living room was like 20 by 20 oh, maybe God. and we had yeah. maybe 50 people watching the game in there <laughs> good day yeah, so anyways, to get back to actual Michigan State stuff here, there's been some recruiting buzz that has come across uh, recently. One thing that we had totally neglected to mention, I guess, was the addition of a commitment to the class of 2024, which is why, you know, for me, it was almost a little bit out of sight, out of mind, and just Totally forgot to bring it up on the podcast, but welcome to Michigan State, Nick Marsh, the first addition to the 2024 football class. It's always interesting when you get the that first commitment. It's usually, I feel like, a local guy, right? It's I feel like just anecdotally, I don't remember any like the first commitment in the class was a guy from Florida or something. Uh, so out of River Rouge, Nick Marsh, top 100 wide receiver, six foot three, about 200 pounds committed this time last week last sunday so uh welcome to the class nick marsh uh in the 2023 class we're continuing to make some waves no commitments to speak of right now but another crystal ball for jalen thompson the edge defender top 200 player out of cast tech who is a huge target for the class and somebody that would put together a really really nice edge group for this class, it would be, I think it would make all of our top three commitments, defensive ends or edge players, however you want to classify it, with Andrew DePepe and by Job. And that would be really fun. But yeah, some crystal balls are starting to drop. You've got some commitments that are being announced within the next week or two weeks and three weeks. Um, a lot of these guys starting to narrow down their decisions. So I'm sure we'll have some more news to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Scott, any uh, any recruiting tidbits that you want to mention here? No, I mean, Nick Marsh, huge addition. It's one thing that's happened as Mel Tucker has become a bigger staple in this program and has put his recruiting chops to work. I feel like the goalposts of our recruiting expectations have shifted so fast in the last two to three years that it's hard to really grasp the gravity of some of these commitments like Nick Marsh and the 2024 recruiting rankings have plenty of renditions to go through plenty of updates before those guys ever see any college football fields. But Twitter like broke when by Job committed because he was a top hundred guy. Nick Marsh is a top hundred guy and just opened the class out of the blue. I, I remember hearing about him a few months ago. Someone was like, hey, name to keep an eye on in 2024. Local kid. I'm like, oh, okay. He's got Michigan interest. He's got Michigan State interest. Like, people are, are looking at this guy. But 
it was peak 2023, like February ish when everything was in a frenzy for 23 and we weren't really focused on it, filed it away in the depths of my memory. And then like a week before he committed, you hear like, Hey, he really likes Michigan state. And then it was just out of the blue committed. And, um, there was, I don't remember, I wish I had the publication up, but somebody interviewed Courtney Hawkins and he said that Nick Marsh called him or I think he was on a visit and he was like, Hey coach, I want to commit. And Courtney Hawkins was just like, no shit. Like what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, no shit coach. I want to commit right now. And he was like, okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, clearly he's very fond of Michigan state. Clearly he was ready and just wanted to be kind of that cornerstone of the class. And I, I think it always helps to have a local kid to validate it to the rest of the in-state guys. I don't think Michigan state needs much validation in the state of Michigan anymore, but um, it, it feels good when it's a local guy with ties to the program um, to, to really build around and, and make that local connection, especially uh, in the Detroit area. So really and, exciting opener. And some guys, they love being recruited right? They, they're going to stretch the process out as long as possible. Some guys, they just, they know where they want to go. They want to just get it out there, stop the whole process. It, and of course, we all know that committing somewhere doesn't mean that other schools are going to stop recruiting you, but it at least slows it down to a certain level, right? And so some guys just say, like, I'm so sick of these coaches calling me every day talking about how my family's doing and how my grades are and whatever. I just, I, I want to be done with this. Let's just commit now. I already know where I'm going to go. Let's just wrap it up. Right. But to your point, I mean, think about a guy like Stanton Ramil who commits last week, six foot seven, 310 pound top 200, four star offensive tackle. And I mean, you know, people were excited, but you know, that same commitment a year ago, people would be losing their minds, but because Mel Tucker has kind of set this bar, it's, it, it almost feels like, Hey, that's just another guy to add to the yeah. class yeah, rather than, Oh my God, we just added a top 200 offensive tackle. Yeah. So don't lose sight of, of that. You know, when we were missing, we talked about this when people were getting antsy that we were missing on a couple of those, like, high five-star or even high four-star guys that had committed elsewhere or at least crystal balls were going, you know, the miles McVeigh, Samson Okunlola, still don't know how to say his name. Um, we were getting frustrated that he was missing, that we were missing on that type of recruit. And it's like, well, hang on three, four years ago, we would have felt over the moon if a guy like that even took a visit. Um, and the fact that we were in his top four or whatever, and, and didn't make the cut, the final cut, it's still a success. And then if you're for lack of a better term, sloppy seconds as a top 200 offensive tackle, like we're doing something right. Let's celebrate the wins here and be excited about the tra trajectory we're on. We won 11 games last year with a lot less talent than we have in this, in this class coming in next year. Well, and I'll throw this out too. That 2016 recruiting class, now we're not going to talk about what happened after they committed, but let's just talk about remembering how crazy that class was and how excited we were and how much talent we were bringing in. And wow, we've never seen Michigan State recruit at this level. There were nine four-star players in that recruiting class. In the class of 2023, 
we already have 10 four-star commitments. So that's just another way to, to explain it. It's the level of like the normal recruit that we're bringing in now. It, it just, it seems different. And uh, hopefully that continues to progress along that, those same lines here. I love the, how the narrative shifted. <laughs> this is I don't like to touch on Michigan, Michigan State in the offseason too much. We try to save that talk for the week or this year, two weeks, which will be another disaster, but that's beside Dreadful. the point. Um, now that Michigan, for now, has slightly worse recruiting class put together, they're talking about how good of player developers, you know, the, the staff is in Michigan for three stars and putting them in the NFL. And we're like, yeah, well, we just get better recruits from the start. The narratives, it doesn't matter who you are. They always move around to where they need to be. They're saying the same things we said. We're saying the same things they said. Uh, at the end of the day, all that matters really is who scores more points on that one Saturday in the fall um, this year, October 29th. So, College football fans are the best goalpost movers on the planet. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. <laughs> anyway, recruiting is still moving uh in, at a great clip basketball looks like Tom Izzo is going to close up his 2023 class with a commitment from Cohen Carr next week, uh, this week, which will put him in the top five for the year. Probably will stay there even once everything else fleshes out and uh, going for title number two. I think this for however many years he can maintain this momentum will be his last push. Right. And mm -hmm. if he goes back into another stretch like the last couple of years after this big wave of recruits i think maybe that's when he hangs up the whistle but you can tell he is he's pouring it all out there right now to get back to the top in the next few years yeah i can't wait to see what uh what happens with that class because i gives us a real shot at that second national title that we all know that he is desperately chasing for the last few years so uh, before we get to the specialists and the defensive backs, a nice word from our friends at DraftKings who have changed the fantasy game forever a few times now. Now they're doing it in uh, with the Rainmakers football, the first ever NFT fantasy game, a new way to enjoy daily fantasy football, a new shot to win millions in prizes, and the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. It's very simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player cards of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions. Build your collection of football stars and enter free Rainmaker football contests all season long to compete for millions in prizes. Each week, craft your lineup of athletes from your NFT collection. Get points for touchdowns, receptions, just like you would in daily fantasy football. The next generation of fantasy sports is almost here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now and sign up with promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in so you can be ready for the next drop. Play free for millions in prizes all season long and build the ultimate NFT collection, uh, NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes or DraftKings.com for details and uh, head on over there. Have some fun. Check it out. Something new. Um, all right. So we got specialists that I want to make sure we talk about here. I could talk about it all day, but I know the reality is that, well, a lot of people don't really love listening to us talk about specialists. So 
even in Michigan State's uh, fo- I was just going through the media kit, the the three hundred page media guide that uh, that the program puts out. You you go through, they list the starters, game by game starters at on offense and defense. They go through every position, every game, who started. They don't even have a tab for specialists. They just even the program doesn't even care about them. But we do. Special teams matters. We know that. And uh, at punter, you bring back who was, I mean, in a long line of phenomenal punting at Michigan State. And and I'm not saying that lightly. We've had some really great punters here. Uh, Bryce Berenger, his year last year, one of the best in school history. He is back, obviously going to be the punter this year. Uh, had a 48-yard average last year. Was one of the best punters in a loaded punting Big Ten last year. Expect him to be in the mix for first, second, third team all Big Ten without really any question there. So punting wrapped up pretty easily. Kicking another spot here. You've got um, obviously Coglin graduating out the door. So this year you're looking at uh, incoming freshman Jack Stone, who he's got a leg on him. He he has put up some numbers in high school. You watch his videos online, and and he's got a smooth release. He looks like the type of kicker that could come in and and make 40, 45, 50 yard field goals with regularity. He has that kind of leg. But as we all know, kicking is a mental game. He's a true freshman. How does he handle that? I mean, he's from Texas. If if anything would prepare you for kicking in high stakes college football games, I feel like kicking in high stakes high school Texas football games, there's probably just as much money on the betting window at some of those games as there are in uh, at, at Michigan State games. So we'll see how he can come in because the only other kicker right now on the roster is Steven Rusneck, who struggled in his uh, appearances last year. So it's going to be very interesting. I think the reality is that especially when you include the injuries, um, we've had some lack of steadiness at the kicking position for a couple years as it is. So this isn't really anything new, but we definitely come into this year wondering how confident we can feel once we get into scoring position of putting three points on the board. Yeah. Kicking is a position that it's really easy to take for granted when you have a kicker you can rely on. But when you don't know who your guy is, when you don't have someone, you know, you can rely on, you become very aware of the kicking game very quickly and the scenarios involved where you are on the field. Um, Matt Coglin was what he was generally pretty consistent, had a couple stretches throughout his time where things got shaky, obviously dealt with an injury last year in the second half of the year that held him back. And we immediately saw that challenge when he was hurt. I mean, Steven Rusnak came in, missed a couple extra points, struggled, I think we had one other kicker that struggled for like one kick because we just saw what it was and we're like, nope, I think we (laughs) moved him to tight end, Uh, which is the most bizarre but consistent trend in MSU football when your specialists don't work out, make them tight ends. Um, I think Jack Stone certainly has, 
everything physically you would need to be a good kicker at the college level. But like you said, it's a mental game. Uh, and we'll see what kind of metal he has. Um, all the chips I think are kind of there for a long-term kicker in this class, especially for this year. I don't think Steven Rusnak's going to have a come to Jesus moment and become an all big 10 kicker. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be Jack Stone or bust in the kicking game this year. And, uh, hopefully he's a guy we can center the special teams around for four years. Um, I think if he's got the mental game down, he could certainly be the, that kind of kicker you could build around. Yeah. I, lo- I love the long-term outlook. I think he's, he's got all the talent. Like you said, it's just, I've, I've seen some people, you know, the rare people online that are actually tweeting about kickers, uh, some people tweeting a little bit more confidence than I feel is, uh, is worthy here with a freshman kicker, people are kind of expecting him to come in and lock up the position and, you know, be productive this year. And it's just thinking about an 18 year old going into the big house with a hundred thousand people breathing down your neck. And you've got a 40 yard field goal from the hash marks when your team is down by one late in the third quarter. And it's just, uh, it's a position that not a lot of 18-year-olds are prepared for. It's a position not a lot of 21-year-olds are prepared for either. Uh, but it is stressful going into a year with a freshman kicker. There's no doubt about that. But long snapper to finish out the specialists. Hank Pepper started every game last year. You expect him to start every game again this year. Um, shockingly not related to Tabor. Tabor Pepper, which is the most ridiculous thing ever. Two long snappers at Michigan State, both with the last name Pepper, unrelated. That that might be the craziest like Michigan State football fun fact in the history of Michigan State football fun facts. You gotta wonder if like whoever does long snapper recruiting for Michigan State, that might even be like a grad assistant position they definitely um, just pawned that one off on, on one of he them. just saw a familiar name he's like oh we had a guy with that name like maybe it's his brother i'll give him a ring and he's like oh I know yeah Ma- it's not my brother but then you got the foot in the door um, i know mel tucker is intimately involved with the recruiting process throughout the entire roster but i don't know how in-depth he's getting with the long snapping recruiting i'll just go on on a limb here and say that's not his top priority Last one I don't want to lose sight of that's worth conversation is return. Um, obviously, Jaden Reed is the first name to come to mind, but returners are always, it's always an interesting, fluid conversation, right? It's one of the highest injury rates of any position. Jaden Reed, it's do or die year, right? I mean, he already did, but there's a lot on the line for Jaden Reed this season. And the last thing we would want I'm not even going to say it, but I'm sure everybody knows where we're going with that. Um, so do you put a younger athlete in that position or, or just like a Montori Foster, right? Somebody who who has the quickness, who has the speed. Um, you could go the D'Antonio route, go with like a backup running back, put Eli Collins back there, just throw fair catches and slam into people. I hope not, but it's possible. I think Don't. it would probably be Jaden Reed. This this coaching staff again likes to put their best players in a position to succeed and in a position to to take advantage of their strengths. So I think he'll be the primary return man. But it's always something to keep an eye on. He doesn't have another year to bank on if something were to go wrong. Like he's he's 
going to the NFL after this year. So, well, I think he actually does have another year, but I would imagine he does not want to use that. So that's, you make a good point there because Mel Tucker has mentioned numerous times throughout different press conferences that he, the best players are going to play special teams. Like it, this isn't a, a spot on the field where he's just throwing a bone to freshmen and throwing a bone to backups just to, you know, allow them to get on the field. He wants his best players on the field because he, he really feels the importance of special teams but with that said, we've talked about potential freshman impact guys. And a name that doesn't come up too often is Tyrell Henry, local guy out of Roseville, incoming freshman. He had eight return touchdowns, uh, I think just last year or maybe in his high school career. I can't remember which one, but six punt return touchdowns, two kick return touchdowns, two interceptions returned for touchdowns. He clearly has a knack for it just that open field awareness. Um, so maybe Tyrell Henry is a sneaky true freshman impact guy as a returner, whether it's in the punt or kick return game, something to keep an eye on there as well. But I would expect Jaden Reed to stay in on punt returns, maybe not kick returns as much, but, but punt returns, because I mean, think about he, he won us the Nebraska game and, change you know opened up that western kentucky game with a punt return touchdown i mean him in their punt returning punts has the potential to flip a game on and its head so the the two return touchdowns obviously get the limelight when we're talking about Jaden reed and returning but there were numerous returns last year that didn't go to the house that completely changed the momentum of games i mean games where he's flipping the field where he's getting it past the 50 on a longer return setting up a short field for the offense um it's a huge component to what mel tucker's doing and any coach loves to talk about field position returns are the single biggest swing in field position of any play consistently in football they are a really important part of the game and i think mel tucker and, and just modern football is coming to terms with that so I, I do think they'll put somebody there that they know gives us a great chance to make a difference. Last note yeah, can... on special teams that I, I really want to make a celebrity position at Gunner. I'm psyched <laughs> to see Justin White play more football. I yeah. think he'll get on the field on defense like he did last year a little bit as like a speed rushing nickelback kind of. But watching that dude run down the sidelines on punt coverage is electric. Yeah, he is he is a track guy and there is no better use of track speed than gunning on the punt team and uh kick coverage as well. So yeah, that's you're going to see number 30 on the tackling end of a lot of punts and kicks I think this year, but um to move on to the defensive backs, I think the the spot that most people came to this episode to listen to a little bit more. Um it's fascinating because i was texting scott this morning when i woke up i was kind of going through my my prep for the show and you start looking at how many guys you bring back from last season which is basically everybody i it seems like so long ago that we kind of forget that michael dowell and kaylin gervin were starting games for this team in 2021 uh, and obviously those guys are out the door, but 
basically everybody who started from week five on is back. And a lot of the problems with the, the secondary last season were just guys who weren't really comfortable or aware of their role in a cover three in this nickel defense, whatever the case may be. It just seemed like guys weren't, weren't very comfortable and so you get another year, another offseason, guys getting more familiar with their responsibilities and bringing back, like I said, with guys who who started games in the secondary last year. Obviously, Darius Snow making the position change to linebacker. We'll see how much of that is actually true. Ronald Williams, uh, Chester Kimbrough, Marky Lowry, Chuck Brantley, Xavier Henderson, Angelo Gross, you bring all those guys back who all started games at points of last season, uh, whether it's at corner or safety, uh, a handful of other guys who were, who were, you know, heavy snap guys. And then you bring in Amir speed from Georgia, who started a couple games on that national championship winning team. So you look on paper, you say, all right, I like some, some of the talent that's here. I like that. These guys are all coming back with more experience, but then to tamper my expectations, I went back and I watched the long highlights of the Purdue game just to keep myself in check. I like to do this from time to time. When I get too excited, I'll go back and I, I'll watch something that I know was bad just to make sure that I'm not getting you know ahead over my skis a little bit too much. And man, it was just play after play after play. Guys getting lost. Guys getting beaten man coverage guys just not knowing their responsibilities in zone coverage and it was the freshman chuck brantley all the way up to the experienced guys in xavier henderson and so you start to say all right i like what we got on paper but let's be honest here the results last year were bad so where do we fall going into this year it's a a mystery to me I think a lot of people are writing it off as, well, it's going to be the same as it was last year. And a lot of people are saying, well, we're going to make a drastic jump up to the top 25 this year. I have no idea. I can guarantee Mel Tucker and his staff, they're not going to go out in every press conference and talk about how bad the defense defensive backs were last year, how bad the just generally the passing defense was. But more days than not, Mel Tucker and his staff spent the offseason thinking, how the heck are we going to fix this? Um, and obviously we won't know at whether their changes will have worked until they're on the field against a- opponents that they didn't see in, tra- in training camp. You know, they're not going against the scout team. We're not going to know until they try, but I can guarantee there will be major differences in the way that they approach pass defense. We talked about it a little bit last week because the conversation with the linebackers leaked over to pass coverage. They just looked like they were thinking way too much. They could not play on instinct. And when those games like Purdue and Ohio State got ahead of them, they're just they didn't know where to turn and the thinking got worse. Yeah, it starts snowballing. Play gets slower and they can't react. You mentioned a play against Purdue where Chuck Brantley just stood there. The ball was snapped and he just stood there. And, and dude just went around him like he was probably sit standing there trying to think like wait what am i supposed to be doing like he was probably completely lost should i be lining up on his inside shoulder or his outside shoulder yeah. where to, and then all of a sudden the guy's two yards behind him and it's like 
Huh? So Wait, oh, shoot. <laughs> and especially at defensive back and especially press corner, you can't be thinking. You have to be able to play on instinct. You have to be able to just rep it in practice enough times that when the ball's snapped and offensive players are moving around you, your body just knows where it needs to be. And you can play on instinct. And that's where obviously we'd like to be. Anyone who's played a sport knows like that's an incredible feeling. And that's where you want to get to where you just, when, when push comes to shove and the rubber meets the road, you, you know what to do and you don't have to think about it. And you just, you kind of just, your body takes over. Uh, that's not, it was clear that wasn't the case for a lot of those yeah. games last year. And I think the, the problem too was within that, right? There are some guys who, when they forget their responsibility or when they straight up don't know their responsibility, they just say, all right, whatever, I'm just going to guard this guy. And they're, they're more the aggressor in those situations where it's like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to bully this guy across from me. I'm going to try to blanket cover this guy. And Hey, if, if somebody else beats me over the top, because I was actually supposed to switch onto this other guy, then oops, sorry, coach, I guess we'll, we'll rep that out in practice, but I'm, I'm at least going to cover this guy because that's the best I can do with the information that I have. And the problem that I kind of noticed was a lot of the question, questionable decision-making was a bit too passive where it was, okay, I don't really know what's going on here, but I think I have help over the top. So I'm going to kind of let this guy pass me and I'm going to stay in the flat and wait for something else to come here. And it's like, I, I just feel like that's the bad way to approach it. If you're not really sure what to do, there's a guy lined up from across from you. Just cover that guy. And the rest will sort out itself. Hopefully there won't be any busts anywhere else, but at least you covered somebody, right? Rather than I let this guy past me and I'm just covering air here in the flat waiting for somebody to come by when that was the guy I was supposed to be covering. Like there, there are two ways to approach the, I don't really know what to do right now. And I yeah. feel like our guys chose the wrong way to approach it more often <laughs> yeah. than not. And the defense, talk, the defensive staff talked about this last year at some point that if you're going to screw up, they want you to screw up aggressively. And right. they said specifically, if you're out there on the field on defense and you don't know what to do, find someone and hit them. Like, they don't want you passively screwing up because then you're just standing around being a statue doing absolutely nothing. If you screw up, disrupt something, throw yeah. something off, at least cause chaos somewhere, right? Cause confusion. And they, they weren't doing that. We're going to see what the scheme looks like. If they stay with that cover three, if they go to something more traditional, if they go to more man, um, we'll see. Uh, obviously, Scotty Hazelton and Mel Tucker have a, a long history of being defensive coaches, and I'm sure they have more up their sleeve than what we've seen to try to sort this out. But when we look at personnel, you mentioned the few different guys we've had starting. We had seven different starting lineups on the defensive backs, the starting five defensive backs last season. I expect there to be a mixed bag again this year. As far as positional movement, there's, there's a lot that's unknown. We do know Darius Snow is listed as a linebacker. Is he going to play one of the two traditional four-two-five linebacker positions? I'd I'd honestly be surprised if that was where he took the majority of his snaps. I could see it. I think he has the skill set to play a speedy linebacker, but I think he'll be more of like a, a nickel 
hybrid. I mean, Nichols listed on our depth chart as a position in the media guide. Um, but we also heard Chester Kimbrough has moved to nickel and is expected to be the starting nickel this year. So how do those two reconcile that? Is it, is it package based or is Darius snow going to move inside to, or are we going to a three, four where we can put four linebackers on the field and you put Winman and uh, Brule on the, on the line on the edges and you put Halliday and, and snow in the, in the backfield. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Other than that, I think it's going to be pretty much what we expected. Gross will be a over the top safety. Um, Henderson obviously will be in his traditional box safety spot. And on the outside, there are options. Amir Speed sounds like he's going to be a starting corner. And I would expect, just based on what we saw last year, that Ronald Williams will be the other starting corner. But Marky Lowry showed great stuff last season. And obviously, Chuck Brantley and Spurts showed great stuff last season. So uh, a lot of options, and that's not all of them either. Yeah, I think the the highest ceiling for 2022 is the Williams and speed on the outside because they're both taller, longer guys who can disrupt basically any wide receiver that's going to be lining up across from them. Um, but again, that's Lowry and, and Brantley, I think are both going to be fighting for one of those starting jobs all through camp. And I would not be surprised if we came out week one and it's, Ronald Williams and Marquis Lowry, or it's Amir Speed and Chuck Brantley, like any combination of those four on the outside wouldn't really surprise me. Anybody else out, outside of those four starting on the outside would be surprising to me. But any of those four, I think, have a real shot at, at snagging some playing time there or a starting job. The nickel is really interesting because there there's been a ton of buzz like you mentioned about Chester Kimbrough moving inside he really didn't play that role at all last year so we don't really know what that's going to look like with Darius Snow moving down like you've got we've talked about this a million times you've got so many guys on this roster who have that archetype of a nickelback but only one guy can play it on any given snap so how do they rotate through there? Because I still think Angelo Gross was at his best when he was playing nickel, and they moved him back to nickel for the Peach Bowl against Pitt, and he was back to his disruptive self. When he's playing closer to the ball, he's more instinctive. He he just he has a better feel for the game the closer he is to the line of scrimmage. And the further you moved him back, the more he just... He was tentative. He was uh, too careful to make decisions, too passive, as we kind of mentioned, where when he's close to the line of scrimmage, he just basically runs the ball and goes hits, goes and hits people. And so I, I'm really interested to see what they do with that. But the problem is, again, as we've talked and talked and talked about, we just don't have a guy right now who can play that single high, over-the-top free safety, going sideline to sideline, making plays on the ball. And maybe that's Jaden Mangum, maybe that's whoever. But I, I just, from all the players that we have seen play football for Michigan State on this roster, we do not have a guy who can play that role and excel in that role the way that we've seen a guy like Curtis Drummond do um, in the past. Yeah, I'd say of everyone on the roster, uh, Xavier Henderson's probably the best 
at playing that center field position, but that's not that's not his strength. He's no. better playing elsewhere. So if he's the best guy to do it, you might see him there just because it's a necessity. But in terms of taking advantage of our roster's strengths, you wouldn't want him there. You'd want him filling run gaps, diagnosing the play, diving downhill. Um, yeah, Angelo Gross, he's not that center fielder. He's not rangy. He's kind of bursty, and he likes to hit. And, and that's just not what we were asking him to do last year. And I mean, if we had a single one guy in one position out last year that consistently got beat, it was when Angelo Gross was playing that center yeah. of the cover three. It's not because he's not a good football player, but because that's not what his skill set really allows him to be good at. Um, yeah. And I mean, when you, as far as safeties, there's kind of a stable even behind the guys that we've talked about. Tate Halleck's been around as, as a decent backup. I think we've seen him in garbage time, but I don't really expect him to be making a huge impact. But you talk about the freshman class. You talked about Jaden Mangum. Dylan Tatum, maybe not a center fielder, but another likely safety or nickel, probably not a corner at, at this level. Um, both freshmen, going to be hard for them to see the field, but a couple redshirt freshmen. A.J. Kirk's been around. Uh, Malik, Sen- Malik Spencer is another true freshman coming in at safety. So all youngsters, but if there's a niche that we struggle to fill in camp uh, with the more experienced guys like that center of the cover three rangy safety, the, the coaching staff's not going to look past freshmen just because they're freshmen, right? If somebody in that group shows they're better than everybody else, they're going to see the field. So I don't expect it. But if push comes to shove, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw one of those freshmen getting some snaps there. Yeah, you you took the question right out of my – I was just going to ask you if you think – let's say between all the defensive backs. So you mentioned the safeties. I'll throw the corners in there. Aid Willie from IMG, uh, Malcolm Jones from Georgia, Caleb Coley from down in Georgia, uh, a bunch of good prospects. Some of the best prospects in that 2022 class were defensive backs. Do you think any of them get a start? I think, you know, a couple of them are going to get snaps. They're going to get rotated in. They're going to get playing time. Do you think any of them are going to start a game? No. Um, as long as everybody else is healthy. We had obviously Brantley start multiple games and Lowry was a red shirt freshman start games last year, but, but that was necessity. I mean, right. Chuck Brantley started one game and it was Purdue and it didn't go well for him. <laughs> it's not to say he doesn't have a bright future, but that was not a bright start. Um, and he got hurt and didn't play the rest of the year in that game. Um, no, I think I, as long as everybody stays healthy, I just don't see that happening. Honestly, they're just inexperienced and we're asking them to play the, the cover three is really a, a, a pro scheme. I mean, it's, it's complicated. Your reads are complex. You have to be able to react and diagnose really quickly. It's not like press man where you just stuck to a guy and you just stick to the fundamentals. And if you're athletic enough, you can do it. It's uh, it's complicated. And especially at like, I think the most open position would be free safety. You got a lot, to do uh depending on what the play is and honestly they're all undersized uh they all need some time in the weight room Jaden mangum's a six two a buck 70 um great to get your hands in the pocket not great to fill a hole against uh 
I don't know any of these big 10 running backs or, or you've got a six, five, 240 pound tight end coming up the seam, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's that's putting you in a tough spot. I've been a a big Jaden Mangum stand, but that that worries me. That yeah. definitely worries me. Yeah. So I, if everybody's healthy, I don't really see it. Um, I'd love to because if anybody gets on the field, it means they're doing something so well that the coaching staff just can't keep them off the field. Um, but I think the positions they're at, honestly, they're pretty deep. Even if we don't have the perfect shape puzzle piece for the whole. I think there's enough experience there and enough other bodies that have some time reading defenses in that scheme that it's going to be hard for, for one of those guys to find a start if everyone's healthy. Yeah. And and you mentioned too, the other thing that makes it more difficult is last year, you know, we had some injuries guys had to play, but with like Michael Dowell entering the portal, Kalen Gervin entering the portal, like we were already thin there. And when we had a couple injuries, then it it became really thin, really quick. This year, you're a little bit deeper with experience because you have Brantley and Lowry who have played. You have Kari Crump who came in last year as a transfer, I believe from Louisville, who didn't see the field, but he's a guy, you know, who could come in there and play. Or from Arizona, sorry, Lowry was from Louisville. Um, at at corner, you have like a two deep a solid two deep of guys who have played. And then at safety, you're kind of, again, you're looking at guys behind the upperclassmen who have some experience and would probably get the, the a starting nod over a true freshman if a couple injuries were to occur. So I, I'm probably with you. So if we're looking at MSU's 425, and I'm going to make you put five DBs on the field, so you can't trade that nickel for a linebacker. I'll even take Darius Snow out of the equation because he's listed as a linebacker, so I'm going to assume yeah. he's not playing nickel. Um, speaking purely on potential, so like mm-hmm. Jaden Mangum in two or three years, like if all these guys, we're talking about their ceiling, their development ceiling, Yeah, you have to put a starting five on the field with this roster with where you think all of these guys, what you think they could become. Who are your five? So Williams and Speed on the outsides. They're both sixth-year players, but that is definitely the highest ceiling for this season in terms of winning games. I don't really think you could argue that, to be honest. Um, Xavier Henderson is obviously the starting safety. Um, that that free safety spot gets really interesting, and then that nickel spot gets really interesting. I okay, predictively, I think Chester Kimbrough is going to start at nickel, but I I'm really worried about what I saw from Chester Kimbrough last year. He was he was getting beat more often than not, and again, we only really saw him on the outside. We didn't see him play nickel, so maybe he's a lot more comfortable in there. I don't know, but I would put. Marquis Lowry in that nickel spot over Chester Kimbra. I think he would fit that role really well. Um, he's physical. Uh, he loves playing around the ball. It, that just seems like a role that was kind of made for, for Marquis Lowry. We only saw him on the outside last year and he played pretty well at times. I think he would be really good in there. And um, I, I just see a high ceiling there. 
And that free safety spot, I just, again, Jaden Mangum has the highest long-term ceiling, but you know we're trying to win games this year, and 170 pounds at six foot two. If that's really what he's coming in at, that really worries me in the Big Ten. In a year that we're going to be playing Wisconsin, we're going to be playing Illinois, we're going to be playing Michigan, we're going to be playing Ohio State. Like you're going to face some grown ass men who are coming down the field at tight end, at running back, even at wide receiver. And that just really, really scares me. So I, I guess, mm, I guess Angelo Gross, but I just really don't like Angelo Gross playing up high. So I guess maybe, maybe you put Xavier Henderson up high and you put Angelo Gross as more of that box, quote unquote, strong safety. Yeah, see, in that situation, though, if Xavier Henderson's playing over the top, I want Darius Snow as the box safety, and you yeah. put somebody else at nickel, or I know I I, I know I disqualified Darius Snow. Yeah, right. <laughs> just speaking on that scenario with Xavier Henderson playing that middle third, Darius Snow is, is the dude. To, and to even there, the just to because I don't want to neglect this comment, I really don't think Xavier Henderson is a great single high guy he's just he's not that fast and you for that position to really excel you need to be fast you need to be able to quarterback throws a ball to the sideline you need to do a 45 yard sprint while the ball is in the air to get over there and make a play on the ball and he's just not that fast but he is the most um He's the smartest guy. So he would put himself in a good position to where instead of running 45 yards, he only has to run 38 yards because he's in a good position. He kind of knows where the quarterback wants to go with the ball, et cetera. But the ceiling is definitely still limited with him playing that role. Yeah, I trust he'd get just like a center fielder in baseball. He'd get the best jump because of how well he can feel out and read plays. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Maybe someone will surprise us. I don't know if Angelo Gross last year was really expecting to play that position all year or some of the year. So maybe he didn't put his development time in the offseason or the coaches didn't put the development time in the offseason in developing him there. And maybe if they went into the, this offseason saying, hey, next year, start or not, this is the position you're going to play. And, yeah. and maybe we'll see something different. But when you think back on the the flashy plays he's made the times when he's really made a difference in games it's always around the line of scrimmage it's always within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage it's never from what i can remember and this isn't fair this is very anecdotal but just from what sticks out in my memory it's never him streaking across the top of the defense breaking up a pass hitting a guy to jar the ball loose making an interception it's always down low Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's a gap um and we'll see. I mean, for all we know, we won't even be in it cover three anymore. They'll say it didn't work last year. We're going back to, <laughs> you know, quarters or we're going back to like too high. Um, I don't Harlan know. Barnett has coached it all. I mean, yeah, he's he's ready to step in there and, and head up to the chalkboard no matter what you throw at him. So it's going to be one of those kind of um, linchpin positions for the team, right? We saw it impact games last year positively at times with the Chuck Brantley interception against Michigan, right? But also, obviously, we saw it impact games negatively. 
and you're going to see a very similar cast of characters. So have they improved? Have the new guys come in like Amir Speed or some of the freshmen maybe uh, come in and taken jobs? We're going to find that out in less than four weeks. We have uh, today's 26 days away from Spartan football. Tomorrow's 25 as you are listening. We are very, very close. Again, we're going to start rolling out our predictions, our, um, I don't know, projections, projecting starting lineups, whatever uh, comes to your mind. If you have any ideas for us, please let us know. We're always open to suggestions. We want to do what you guys want to hear. So we will have some fun with that as the season continues to roll down and the, the off season continues to count down, inching ever closer to Friday night under the lights against Western Michigan and uh, preparing you for that um, storyline, Peyton Thorne's father as the offensive coordinator for the Broncos. Don't forget. I'm sure the announcers won't let you forget once that game kicks off, but until uh, later this week, we will see you guys then and uh, subscribe, tell your friends, family, all that fun stuff. We'll see you guys in a couple days until then go green, go white. Take care, folks.